0: So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Culture Check, a tailgate society podcast. Please check the tailgatesociety.com society.com and subscribe to Tellgate Society Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Arnold Woods, and I'm joined, as always, by Emily Cornell. Emily, what's going on?
2: You know, just we just wrapped up Thanksgiving, so it's a pretty exciting time. I mean, I feel like everyone was kind of at home this year, but, um, you know, still a good time to eat a lot of carbs in one meal.
1: You have to. I mean, it's Thanksgiving. We we all know that it's, it's very food-focused. Yes. Saw a lot of memes about it, saw a lot of tweets about it, so that was dope. Um, We have a guest with us today. Also, we are joined by fellow TGS contributor Chris Shipley of Old Man Strength to talk about politics. Chris, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for bringing me on. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you very much. We're doing this new series with Culture Check where we're kind of taking each person of TGS who's willing to um, sit down with us and, and kind of talk about something of their choice, pop culture related, or in your case, you know, politics is something that you're passionate about. Um why don't you tell us a little bit about your your history of politics and and what interests you about that that particular subject obviously we're in a very political climate political time but um what do you what are your thoughts on how you got involved in politics and and what your relationship is to it uh i I got
0: involved in politics in, in a weird sort of way just through uh my dad my dad was uh, he was an eighth grade uh dropout but probably one of the smartest guys I knew as far as um, history and and politics. There wasn't a thing that he didn't know. So I grew up uh, very interested in history and historical things, and we would watch politics and debates and uh, election nights every night. It was just our thing to do, and uh, that really grew into my passion for that. And then when I um, went into college and was – uh, about middle way through was kind of struggling for what I really wanted to um, to do in life, I settled on a political science degree. And once I hit that in those core classes, my, you know, it just excelled for me. I really enjoyed it. It's amazing uh, how much more important it becomes to you when it's something you enjoy. Uh, so did that, and then was eventually going to go to law school. But then as I always like to say, life happened, which would be my my wife and kids. So, uh, But I've always had that that passion for politics and and trying to do what's right and uh, see the good in people and unfortunately sometimes then call out the hypocritical and and things like that so there's plenty of times that I get pretty heated um, especially in these last four years so <laughs> uh, but you know I, I it's a pretty diverse thing for me and it's something that I enjoy and passionate about
1: Well, it's a pretty pretty broad topic, obviously, when we we pitch this to people, to members of TGS, and we want them to talk about things that they're passionate about or that they're interested in, no matter how specific or minute. Um, Politics is pretty broad, and it impacts us. and, And me specifically, I've been really interested recently within the last, I mean, it goes beyond the last four years. I would say the last six or seven years specifically. I've been really interested about how politics can impact people's daily lives and 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 how they kind of navigate the world around them the communities around them so I guess in that spirit I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit um with us since we're in different states Chris and I are in Iowa Emily is in Texas obviously and I guess Emily what do you when Chris kind of came to us with this idea about you know politics that's the thing I want to talk about like what what were your thoughts on that were you kind of thinking like broadly or like specifically like what what, what's your history with politics
2: um I don't think I really bothered with politics until four years ago which is just like it's there's a lot of privilege in that and I know that um but like I was in grad school when Trump was elected and so before that I was just like whatever like the president's the president local politics like it determines like they like you know, different things that are happening in states. Um, but it wasn't ever anything that I was like, yeah, this is something I need to make sure that I like follow pretty closely and see what people are saying and understand um, how big of a role like the money, is. like money plays such a big role in everything. But like, I don't think I thought about it. Um, so then now living in Texas, I, I've lived in Colorado, Texas and Wyoming, and they're all in very, like, conservative-ish areas. Like, Colorado Springs is very conservative. It's a military town. Um, and then Laramie is one of the blue spots in Wyoming, but it's still very, like, conservative. A lot of students are still from, um, like, rural areas, so that, that you do hear kind of that perspective, Um from people who are like, oh, like, I don't feel like I am being represented in politics appropriately. Um, Which, like, as a woman, as a Black woman, it's like, yeah, I don't feel like the interests of someone like me people necessarily care about. So it's, like, interesting to hear that from, um, like, white people. And then um, Texas is Texas- And like very conservative, but Austin tries hard not to be. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of where I'm at with politics. And it's just like every day, like kind of learning something new in that, because again, I wasn't, oh, this is a topic that I care about. Like if I could go back to just not really caring that much, that'd be great. But I don't think that's um, realistic. Like it's going to stay a very big issue a big top and like a lot of the topics because so many of the topics affect people individually it's not just like oh are we gonna get roads built that work it's like oh are me and all my friends gonna have like fair rights in this country that (laughs) claims to be free like oh what's gonna happen
1: it's so interesting you talk about like not being as engaged until you know you talk about grad school right grad school is when trump was elected and it makes me think about Um, when I was a sophomore in in college, a sophomore at Iowa state is when Obama was elected and my freshman year. So that's 07. I, I started college in fall of 07. And that's kind of like when the election cycle really, the presidential election cycle really ramped up and I saw Obama speak. Dozens of times, obviously being in Iowa, you know, him winning the Iowa caucuses was really big. Mm -hmm. And I met him personally a few years before that in like, or maybe the year before that in 06, I he was in Iowa for the Harkin Steak Fry. And I had a chance to like meet him personally before he had, you know, was going to run for president, even though I kind of figured that he would. But that election cycle of 07, I remember there was a, a big debate around. So it was like him and Hillary were kind of going at it. And um, there was a big a big topic of debate back then was universal childcare. And, you know, I'm 18, 19 at the time. And, I, you know, I didn't give that a second thought. I was aware of it as a, as a talking point, as a political, you know, thing to rally around and debate and discuss. And, you know, I, w- I was just aware of it as a topic, but I didn't really give it a second thought. And now here I am you know, eleven, twelve years later, I have two kids, I'm married, and like now I'm like, yes, please, God, please, universal childcare. Right. So like in that, in that sense, I'm 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 kind of similar. I was someone who was raised in the context of like my parents are really big into giving me a historical perspective on things in terms of um the way that black people have been treated by America, the way that the political system has placed black people at a disadvantage historically since, you know slavery and colonialism into into the present day. And so that was really what I knew and understood about politics. But like the, the the current stuff, and the way that that the historical perspective intersects with what's going on right now, isn't something that I really had uh, a firmer grasp on again, until like six or seven years ago. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. And and we can we, you know, we can talk about a few things we can talk about, some of like the, the broader, you know, political topics, quote unquote, but I'm, I'm really interested in both of your perspectives on, you know, how we got to this particular moment. And I think when we talk about the moment, quote unquote, we've been talking about the Trump presidency because it's dominated so much of our lives and so much the media landscape and things like that. But now we're kind of coming into a point where it's the actual moment now as, you know, late November 2020 <clears throat> Excuse me. Where we're we're kind of pushing into what's next? Where we have a new president elect and we have a new vice president elect. And I'm kind of interested, I guess, broadly in, in your perspectives of um, where do you think we're going to go from here, and 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 what were your thoughts on the your your broad thoughts on the election and the and the election results, Chris? I guess what, what were you you know it's it's Saturday after the election, and they're finally calling calling it for Biden, like what what was kind of going through your mind at that point?
0: Well, I, I'll jump back just a little bit to to what you guys had talked about as far as, as it becoming um, more important to you as as you got older. There's an old saying that politics are all politics are local. And I think that's more have has adapt to all politics are personal certain things that you start to pay attention to are things that are going to affect you personally in your lives, whether it's your wife or your kids or your husband or your spouse or what have you. And that's when people become passionate about things. And I I can tell you that uh, as passionate as I am, I, I would go vote. I would educate myself. I would make sure that I knew what people stood for on certain issues or whatever. But I also think sometimes I took a cue from uh, my dad, or or some influences and so on, when I was younger, uh, of who I supported, and these last four years for me have been an eye opener for things that are really important. Uh, my wife is a teacher; she teaches ELL. She deals every day with young kids that are um, refugee kids, and 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 you know those personal attacks on them and their rights and their ability to to. To be in this country are significant. Uh, I have a transgender son, and the things that were being stripped away uh, for him are important to me. All of a sudden, so that's what makes me more passionate. Now, as far as after the election, um, I was I was obviously happy. Uh, I, I think Joe all through this ele- this last part of the election cycle, especially after he gave his acceptance speech at uh, at the Democratic National Convention. As much as as he has been in politics for 47 years, it was almost like he was put here in this time, in this time of history, to heal people. Because both people on both sides of the, of the aisle respect him as a person, respect him as a man, and some of the tragedies that he went through when he was younger. And... And I think he's the type of person that can bring this country and maybe just heal a little bit because that's what it needs. It's never been more divided than it ever has, and and frankly, it started in the Bill Clinton era. Uh, I, I I mean they were they would crucify him for certain things. Now there were certain things that he did that you know he deserved to be criticized for. But then when Barack Obama came became president, and the just the outright racism towards that man. I mean, he he loved his country. He did what he what was best for his country that he thought he could do. Uh, he loved his wife. He was a pity. He was a, a pillar of what you should treat your wife and family like. And for people to 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 say and do the things that they did with him because of his color of his skin was terrible. It, it was very. It was just. It was sickening to to a lot of people, and it's just gotten worse. And and frankly, Trump has inflamed that do do i think that trump himself is a racist i i don't know that do i think that he embraced the racist to vote for him absolutely i do and that's just as bad in my in my opinion so when joe biden was elected i at least felt like we were on a path that we had a chance to be healed um i also knew that the next three months were going to be an absolute you think things were bad before the three months that that guy can go unchecked I mean there's no answering for it at this point because he's gone so that that was my concern but uh, healing is what i i mostly thought of with joe biden winning
1: yeah i i kind of wanted to maybe talk a, a little bit about that what you just said and, and emily you certainly i want you to jump in whenever you whenever you want to but um you know it's it's interesting as someone who is um who remembers the Clinton presidency. And I was young when, when Clinton Clinton is the first president. I remember, I don't really remember the first George Bush, George, the first George Bush was the president until I was like four. And then it was um, Clinton or no Clinton was elected in 92. Right. So I would, I would have been um, three then, but, um, Holy smokes. I'm old. Yeah. (laughs) So so he would have been inaugurated in, in in January of ninety-three. So yeah, I would have been I would have turned four a few months after that. Um yeah, you know, I it's I, I remember things, I remember terms like, you know, budget surplus. And um I remember I worked at a movie theater. That was my first job. And I was sixteen when I got that job. And I remember my boss talking to me about like so I was sixteen in two thousand five and I remember my boss talking to me about, you know, in the nineties, you couldn't lose money. Like it was every the economy was was so good and people were just um, flourishing economically and things like that. And then, you know, there's, I don't know, it's tough for me. I'm kind of jumping all around a bit, but like, you know, uh, just like capitalism going crazy. And then like the housing boot, the housing bust and stuff like that. And, you know, I get into college and like the economy goes in the, in the crater. But when you talk about things like healing the country and um, the current divide that we're in, I'm I, I saw Biden's um, election as a um, the first step in a process that's going to take a long time, and you know, I I was I told you about being raised in 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 a household that really talked about you know the civil rights movement and um just america's history with like you know slavery and then it's history with people who are, are marginalized and i've i'm kind of an outsider politically i feel like well i was raised in the in the in the context where it's like you know democrat or republican i don't really trust you but there's a there's at a certain level, like I have to exist in the world daily. And so I have to, you know, vote for people who I think are going to serve my interest and the interest of people like me and the interest of certainly the country as a whole, but like, um, I have to vote for people who are going to try and uplift marginalized communities. And so, um, it, the, the a, a Biden presidency to me is necessary for that. And, but it it's 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 a situation where there's there's more to it than just him being elected which i'm sure most people who are on you know quote unquote our side of the of the political spectrum would agree with but like you know the country still has to reckon with a lot of its issues a lot of its racial issues a lot of its gender issues a lot of its sexuality issues and it has to you know reckon with the way that it treats the people that built it this country was built on slave labor it was built on um, you know, hundreds of years of unpaid labor and the way that it's treated the people who have shaped the country in a lot of ways is still something that that kind of has to be reckoned with. And so, Emily, I know that you're talking about um, you know, black women being represented in politics and um, you know, are am I am I and my friends gonna have the rights that we deserve and things like that? I guess my question for you is um what what do you are you encouraged by the number like we had um a few people I think of someone like Corey Bush in Missouri who was just you know she was a Ferguson protester and now she's been elected to I believe the house the house of representatives yeah. there um who who are some of those people who are like inspiring you I guess some of the if it's um women of color leaders or people of color and general leaders or, or what's who or what I guess is kind of giving you hope or optimism.
2: I'm optimistic that like people of color are like involved, but like involved and you see them like you see, even when it was all the people who are running to be president and like for the Democrats and like you had your Andrew Yang, um, you had Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. like you have women and people of color. So like, that's encouraging that not only can they just be like, yeah, I think I want to run for president, but like they actually make it to a national stage where people are like, Oh, right. Like not everyone who has to run to be president will be a white man. Um, and so like, that is very encouraging and it's encouraging that, because of that, like hopefully people from different backgrounds can also see themselves going there where we don't keep seeing the same people in positions of power and people who are similar to it. Like it's, you, you want diversity because we're a diverse country. So like the needs and wants are of like the people differ and so it's important to have that that representation across the board I say like women of color because like I am a woman of color but like I think it's important it's important to have like Mayor Pete even if I'm not like oh yeah I love what Mayor Pete has to say it is important to have a gay man running where like we can be like oh right gay people are not a monolith or um or the LGBTQ community is not a monolith so that's really encouraging to see more representation in those ways um i'm hoping that like as a result of like the last couple years where we've had more people of color and we've had people with different gender identities and um people who are part of the lgbtq community like in positions of power and and out like i I'm, i'm like very encouraged to see that and i'm hoping that like, the hate that people seem to want to throw at these people um, doesn't stop them from continuing to do, like, the work. Like, I think that a problem is people are like, oh, I need to agree with every single thing that, like, a politician says. Like, no, you don't. They are not, like, we need to take them off a pedestal. Like, they're here to represent you. <laughs> they are here for your best interest. It's not about, like, what they want. And it's okay to disagree with, like, what they're doing. It's not okay to, like, use hate speech against someone. Like, it's not okay to use... Slur- like, it's just not... Like, we should need to get away from that. So I am, yeah, with Joe Biden, like, that... How he... Um, when he gave his speech in Delaware in November, um, and he was just, like, wanting to bring everyone together and he wants to represent Americans as a whole, like, that needs to be the agenda of politicians, not, oh, I'm only here for Republicans. I'm only here for Democrats. I'm only here for libertarians or whatever. I'm, I'm here because like my interests. like I do believe in like certain things within a party, but I want to like look out for the general interest of the whole group. And I think by having the representation and having different people elected that are, that come from a variety of backgrounds will help, make that happen.
1: I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, Chris, because I think Emily just said something that was so like poignant and something that I was trying to articulate, but couldn't, when it, when she talked about how we treat politicians and kind of taking them off of these pedestals and making them really work for us or, or work for the public good, which is something certainly over the last four years that hasn't really happened. And I think about someone like Obama who um i hold multiple views of him like i don't agree with everything that he did politically but i also hold a view of him as someone like you said earlier chris who is you know someone who i believe that he cared about people i believe that he um made decisions with the public good in mind and um I believe that he was smart and I believe that he treated his wife well, like you said, and the four things I just listed, I don't believe are the person who currently occupies the office. So, um, I voted for Obama twice and I'm at a stage now where I just kind of want to see things push forward in the democratic party. I want to, you know, um, to see things keep progressing and, um, you know, especially in terms of, you know, where we are economically and, and, and people, people are really suffering a lot and they were suffering a lot before COVID, but COVID has kind of exacerbated the issues around, um, like the wealth gap and, um, you know, racist criminal justice systems and things like that. So what what are your thoughts, I guess, Chris, on, on how we can, how we should, um, Treat our politicians and and hold them accountable, both nationally and locally. Well i i don't uh, I don't put any of
0: them on a, on a pedestal whatsoever, uh, and i and I don't. I'm a registered independent. I don't um, typically vote party lines either. Uh, I, I can tell you that in 2000, um, when it was during the caucus, um, I'm sorry, yeah, 2000. That was when uh, Bush had beaten Al Gore, uh, during the Republican conventions. Uh, I was a John McCain supporter. John McCain was a different candidate than he was in 2008. John McCain was, um, uh, didn't have any problem telling you what he thought. Um, I mean, he came into Iowa and he believed that ethanol wasn't such a great idea. And he said that, uh, that takes some guts to come into Iowa and you're not pandering for votes. Right. Um, I mean, somebody that, that was a prisoner of war who, uh, and I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, but the story that he, his, his father was an admiral in the Pacific during the Vietnam War. He got shot down. Uh, he spent six years in a prisoner of war camp. They tortured him every day. At one point, he was told that he could go home because they found out who his father was. And he said, I'm not going to go home until the rest of the guys go home because there were people there that had been there longer. I couldn't there's no way I could do that. I'd have been out of there. So to me that tells you the type of person that he was. So for me when he ran and I thought you know when the chips are down or whatever else he's going to do what's right for everybody else, right? That's the kind of man that I admire. Uh in 2008 I didn't I didn't support him because I thought that he he changed it a little bit in that he said what he thought needed to be said so he could get elected. Uh and I also I also saw Barack Obama speak at the uh, Jefferson Jackson dinner. I think I took my oldest and I was blown away. I mean, I I listened to him speak once and I was blown away. Uh, And uh, I caucused for him uh, in, in 2008. Um, But again, the same type of thing when when the, the, the very big video that's out there where John McCain is speaking at a, at a, at a rally and you know, the, the older lady who clearly has, you know, grew up in the, 40s and 50s with a, with a culture that, that wasn't inclusive, you know, calling him a Muslim and an Arab. And he was like, we ain't doing that. And you're nope. Sorry. That's, you know, the guy sitting in the office now would have never done that. He would have never done that. Um, you talk about putting people on a pedestal. I- I've said for the last four years that you can, you can put squarely blame on, on Donald Trump being president, on the media. And I'm not usually like the media is bad. I'm not usually like that, but they gave that guy so much press and made him legitimate that if they would have never even covered that guy, he would have been an afterthought, but he was, he was a ratings galore and that's all they cared about. And so for these last four years, when they would complain and moan that he would attack the press, I just wanted to go, you guys are doing exactly what he wants you to do. Like, you're at fault here. You don't cover him when he has a press conference. Don't have it. But you, you, it's, it's like a train wreck or it's like a car wreck. You can't look away, so you have to show it. Uh, you know, at the very tail end, then they start cutting out when he starts telling all these lies and everything else. Then they start cutting out and they're like, oh, we refuse to, to air his lies. You've done it for three and a half years. What's the difference now, people? Like, you've legitimized him. And, and, and a little bit on the Democratic Party as well. I, I think Hillary Clinton unbelievably qualified. No, no doubt in my mind. But she also had so much baggage that the Democratic Party almost had the fix in. I mean, there was only two other people that ran against her, uh, and, and Bernie Sanders, and the fix was in. And the American people thought that Donald Trump was a legitimate option compared to her. That tells you how terrible of a candidate she was. And I, and I. And I respect her. I watched that that entire document series that was on Hulu. And I, I mean, I, I'm probably part of the problem. I voted for her because I was not going to vote for that guy. There's no way. I mean, the minute he said what he said about John McCain, and the minute that he mocked a disabled reporter, I, all all bets were off for me. <laughs> all bets were off. But there were a lot of overtones, and I had said it four years ago, of 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 nazism with him where he would pick one group of people and and make them think that the masses problems were as a result of this one group of people and you know lining people up and shipping them out of the country and things like that that's straight out of 1936 nazi germany people know your history but because they were so racially undertoned and hated and and with hatred they went with it. I mean, I know a lot of people that voted for him because, based on the fact that he was that he was running on a Republican platform, and they don't believe that. But there's a shit ton of those other people that were like, "Yeah, let's let's vote for this guy because he's going to get rid of the Latino who took my job because I don't want to work. No, you don't want to work because you're lazy. You don't want to work for it. These people work really hard. Never seen more of a hardworking culture than. Latinos or, or African-Americans or any, I mean, it doesn't matter, but they, they're so rooted in their hatred. They want to find somebody to blame it on and go with it. And that's what he tapped into.
1: Real quick to your point about um, the media. I think that that's kind of, that, that kind of goes back to what I was kind of talking about with like, so media, like, tv companies and uh, you know tv stations and you know they're part of conglomerates and and newspapers they're part of conglomerates that are owned owned by corporations and like the the point is to like it's not to serve the public good it's to make make money and so if this guy is a demagogue but he is also you know getting you great ratings then like what are you going to do right so like that's that's kind of going along with what you said like that's I, I, I really agree with that because the media was certainly complicit in, and like people kind of have to understand like that's how capitalism is tied into all this because it's like, you know, he's making us the most money because he's when we give him airtime, people watch. And so, you know, it you wake up and you have a reality TV star as a president, but then also, Oh, go ahead.
0: No, it's speaking of reality, which is part of what really bothers me when you have all these people that come out and tell people like LeBron James to just shut up and dribble or whatever else you. So LeBron James can't say anything, but the dude running a reality show is perfectly capable of running the country. Give me an F and break on that deal. And as far as reporters are go or whatever else, at some point, you're just, you're just a human being, right? I, I don't know how many times I've listened to some of those press conferences and he's went off on them or said something and they didn't go, you know what? Man-to-man, man, don't talk to me that way. Like, you need to put him in his place, but you don't. And that's the problem. He plays so far down in the dirt, and we're all just playing by the rules.
1: And where has that gotten us? Like, I'm over that. Sorry. I th- no, it's all good. I, I, I think that... Um... Go ahead, Emily. Were you about to say something?
2: Oh No, no, no. You're good.
1: I just... I, I, I think about... Um... Kind of like the through line, I think like the the farthest back I can kind of have somewhat of a, of a political knowledge it's like Reagan, where Reagan was telling people like, you know, the government sucks and it's it's bad for the government to like give people things mm-hmm. and you have rhetoric, rhetoric, like welfare queens and stuff. And it's like these, these people are taking from the government, they're being, they're leeching from the government, even though, um, you know, poor white people are the people who benefit the most from welfare. But like, if you can demonize a whole group, like to me, a lot of that, and it goes way, it goes back before Reagan, obviously. But I think about like kind of this modern movement, quote unquote. Like I trace it back to that, and um, you know, big government is bad, or government at all is just bad. It's it's just really bad. And like Reagan is like someone that like conservatives like prop up is like we talk mm-hmm. about putting people on a pedestal. You know what I'm saying? Like they put that guy on a huge pedicle, pedestal, versus you know black and brown communities where it's like you know we have crack epidemic here, we have the age crisis here, and it's like we're we've been you know really hurt by a lot of these you know the trickle down economics that he that he was a proponent of, and you know um like a lot of people were hurt by that, and so there's like that that causes a disconnect when you have so many people who see someone as a hero versus this other side that sees people that sees a person as like you really like we were living in really shitty conditions because of you. So um, like I trace that back to that, like the eighties. And then like that kind of comes into, we talk about Clinton as someone who, you know, was really demonized for a lot of stuff and um, that he shouldn't have been. And he certainly um, things like the crime bill and, and, and a lot of his, um, a lot of his policies were also hurtful to black and Brown communities in terms of over policing and over incarceration. And so that's kind of where I, where how I was raised, right? Where it's like, I can see the issues yeah. that both sides have, have played into um, hurting of marginalized communities. But like, I, I think for me personally, I'm, a, I'm at a point now where I'm just like, we have, like, we, 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 can, we can, we need to be at a place where we're articulating these issues from a national perspective. And we, we have people, we have more people than ever. I feel like who have the language to articulate this and who can be put in positions where they can make like positive changes. And so kind of to, to, to narrow in on that point a little bit, I kind of wanted to bring this to like our state politics and like what we're seeing in our state. And especially with you, um, Emily, since you're in Texas, so you kind of have a different, um, you know, I can, if you've, if you're familiar with my Twitter account, I'm I'm very into um bashing our local politicians here, or our our state politicians. But for for you in Texas, like what do you what are your like frustrations or what do you see that's that needs to be changed? You're in Austin. Um Tex, I mean, Texas is such a huge state, so it's it's tougher, you know, what's what's the issue with Texas when there's so many different demographics and the, and the state is so huge, but like what do you, I guess in your community, like what do you what do you see as the changes that need to be made there?
2: well, so i I don't know what you all know about Austin um other than like people love going to get breakfast tacos there. It's very um it hasn't always had like a ton of people like it does now, like it's a very recent thing where all these people are moving in and um housing, I'm looking for a house, and i it's the worst, like I will not find a house in city limits under three hundred thousand dollars that's just yeah and that's like you could get like a terrible house that's like two bedrooms one bathroom 800 square feet falling apart and they'll be like we're selling this for two hundred and fifty thousand. like wait
1: what um
2: so the housing's not great um
1: come to the midwest emily come on up here
2: oh my god it's just too
1: cold <laughs> i can't live <laughs>
2: somewhere cold <laughs> I I did that long enough. Like it would be negative 20 in Laramie with like the wind Jill when I, and I was like, no more, I can never do this again. Um, 300,000
0: buy a lot of coats and gloves up here. I'm just going to tell you.
2: It's true. (laughs) 300,000. I could buy like a nice house with a nice yard. I could get the dog and probably pay for training for the dog I want to get. Like (laughs) it's like, it's an, it's an exercise in patience in Texas right now um, for that but it didn't used to be like that. Like Austin didn't used to be like this super expensive place. Um, And there's a lot of like construction all around and the I-35 runs along the East side of the city. And it used to be that people wouldn't go East of I-35 because it would be a lot of like black and brown communities and people who are poor and they're like, you're going to get shot or you're, you're like, your stuff is going to get stolen, whatever. Like, you don't want to stop your car. Someone will steal the caps off your car. Like, it's that kind of area. And as I moved to Austin a couple years ago, and I've never been like, ooh, some, I'm like, I haven't even seen a cop. But, like, I also don't see anything awful happening. Um, and because Austin is getting gentrified right now. Um, and so those area, that area of East Austin, all those people are getting pushed out with nowhere to put them. And it's not like they can afford to go there. They can't be like, Oh yeah, let me just like buy a different house in this area. Like the, the property value is just, or the property, the cost of the property is just like too much. So um, you have like these companies coming in and just like building lofts and apartments and restaurants and all this stuff that I'm like, ah, uh, like, why can't we just like let these people live here? Like these people work in the city, they've lived here their whole lives. And you're like, sorry, we actually want to turn this into another strip of bars, another, you know, soul cycle. It just it's so that's very frustrating. And I and it's frustrating that like, at a, on a local government level, It could be like slowed down or even stopped. They could be like, actually, no, like you can't go into that. Like that's, we're keeping that as like this residential area and we're keeping the cost. And even if it means turning it into like a low income option and like there's the fair housing laws that they have to have in terms of like, oh yeah, we offer housing that if you are low income, you can buy the, like these specific or live in these specific areas. And it's not terrible, but it's like not great. And then with the homelessness it's a lot of people who are just like in vulnerable situations or like low income like i don't think that the city of austin does a good job of taking care of these people and like texas doesn't get that cold so it's not like you need to have like a a low income housing option that's like super durable like if, if it were in denver or chicago where you're like well if you don't make this to like, it has to be built kind of to last because the temperatures get so extreme. It gets really hot in Texas, but like it, you're not gonna be super worried about like a structure um, being not suitable for cold weather. Like that's not like the biggest concern. So I'm like, why are we not like, why are we building another set of lofts instead of building low-income housing so we can help like, we have so many homeless people in Austin And there's outside of the city, like a little town of like different homeless people that they've like kind of, they've created a community where they can like work and like have a place to live. And and it's like its own contained community, but then other cities in Texas bring their homeless people to Austin and just dump them there. So like it, it is bananas. So yeah, for the most part, like that's like the major thing I see in in texas that like should be addressed and like i feel like it's definitely not just because i i see what housing cost is like i'm I'm looking at houses every day i'm like there's no way that anyone who like works um any type of like retail or like any job that's not like a white collar job like there. if you have a blue collar job like you can't afford a house in austin and it's just not right and it's not um I, th- I think it's going to like be very damaging. I think it's going to end up like San Francisco and people are going to be living in their in their cars and like it's going to turn like take a turn for the worse and um then people are going to be like, well, how did we get here?" Like um we as like a, a city let this happen.
1: Um you uh, I don't even know where to start. Cause... Sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no, no, no. I mean that in a good way because A lot of that, I mean, affordable housing, I feel like that's a, that's an issue in in most major cities Mm -hmm. in this country. Um, Chris, I don't know how, are you from like the Des Moines area? You you said that you're in Norwalk, but like, I don't. So. And I've lived in Phoenix for a little bit. Okay. So like you, you're then familiar with, I mean, I've, I've lived in Des Moines since 95, maybe. Ninety five, ninety six, and um, it's I, I it's it's hard to explain to people who aren't from here, who moved here in the last decade. Maybe it's hard to describe to them how different infrastructure wise the city is, specifically regarding the downtown area, yeah, and like the the, 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 the just south of downtown area and like the East Village, where. Um, my church used to be down there, and it's not that building doesn't exist anymore, but like in the 90s, up through 05, maybe 04, 05, 06, like it was just warehouses, like just warehouses, old, abandoned, decrepit stuff. And like, you know, they've started, De- Des Moines is very thirsty to attract young people. And young workers and so they they put up all of these like super expensive apartments down to in the downtown area Mm -hmm. in the east village and all of these like you know fake hipster clothing stores and you know these bars and they're still they're still doing that i think that covid has put a a halt on a lot of their um construction stuff but they're there's you know they're trying to get this like soccer stadium near downtown and they completely have like redone like the mlk parkway area which is like the result of that was that old building we'd already left that church um but like that was that that building got um torn down because of that new construction and um living on the east side now it's just like there's you can tell the parts of the city that the city gives a shit about versus the parts that they don't Mm -hmm. And they used to not give a shit about the downtown area and like the really dumpy areas around there until they realized realized that there was a money-making opportunity there. And then they put a bunch of stuff like I was um, trying to, when I got my first like professional job and I was able to move out of my parents after I graduated from Iowa State, like I'm looking for places to live with roommates, like at least one roommate. I ended up living with two other guys for a while but like i'm looking downtown at these new apartments i'm like who can who can live here like who can live who can afford this rent who's my age if their parents aren't paying for it basically because like no one no one down here i'm not no 23 year old no regular 23 year old is making like 65 grand and can like just pay this like this is crazy um so yeah uh, and and you've seen a steady increase in the homeless population here since that time, because there's so, um, so much housing that's just like unaffordable here. And I think it's going to be, it's potentially going to develop into a huge, a huge issue here. I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? I guess. Yeah, I,
0: I agree with that. I, um, I I won't say who I work for, but I I do work for a company that is uh, in property management and, we have had some um things just like that. We've taken over a few complexes that were um designated for low income and helping those those low income families and so on and have done a lot of renovating and and things like that. And 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 it's you know, really neat projects and, and things like that. But then you wonder sometimes what happens to those people and where do they go and what are their options. Um and even and even myself, I, I, I don't consider myself well off. I mean, very a middle-class and, and I think even the middle class is getting squeezed a little bit. Uh, my wife and my wife is a teacher. Uh, I, I work, uh, for, for the company that I work for. Um, I'd like to think that we make a comfortable living. And when we were going to move to, to Norwalk and we were even looking at houses in, in Des Moines on the South side, uh, we can touch a house for under two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars and i and I, we were like you know we we make pretty good money we can't afford that and 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 then even building something new they i mean these these builders won't even build something for under two four two fifty two sixty uh so th- you know that and I couldn't imagine being a young family trying to trying to buy a house or buy a home and that you know that's that was crazy to me how, how expensive that kind of stuff was. Um, as opposed to 10 years before that, when my first wife and I had bought our house and we'd bought a nice four bedroom house on the South side of Des Moines in a nice neighborhood, I think it was like $125,000. I mean, it was half the price. Um, but that was part of what we talked about before that housing market was booming. People were, were, were building these houses left and right and they were flooding the markets and that, and and it's stabilized a little bit, but if I was your age now and, and, and had a young family and, and tried to buy a house or whatever, I'm I'm not entirely sure I'd be able to do it. I mean, listen, I, I got help from my dad when I first bought a house, I, I bought the house that I grew up in. He sold it to me on the cheap and gifted me a $10,000 down payment that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to buy a house without that. Uh, and a lot of people don't have that ability. So uh it's certainly a problem and and you're right they they downtown is now the crown jewel but boy 15 years ago it you didn't you didn't go outside of of past maybe the court avenue area and and the west side the east side was bad the west side was just as bad like you'd get past where where the new library is now if you get down in that area I mean, you probably shouldn't be driving down there. I mean, it was it was not. It was pretty. There were some, you know, adult facilities down there and some some shady places. But uh, you know, but then just even farther west of that was Sherman Hills area, and that was a nice area. So, um, but yeah, it's there's some good to to the improvements but it hurts a lot of people too. And I, and I don't, I can't say that I know what the answer is either.
1: I just feel like it's not sustainable. And we talk about, you know, we're, we're talking about this because of, you know, the political topics, but like, it's not, it's not sustainable to have places that are too expensive to live for like large areas of the city. And, you know, there are people who are certainly incentivized to, and I'm talking about like you know businesses and and restaurant owners, and there's like there's like three or four restaurant owners in Des Moines who are just like in charge of a mm. lot of the you know up and coming like trendy restaurants yeah. or whatever, and they're just you know they they want their restaurants in nice places and then you have the the place I'm getting real into the 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 deep cut Des Moines stuff now, but like that the place on Ingersoll where it was like an Italian or a, a Brazilian steakhouse. And then the ownership just bounced and like, didn't tell anyone. And, you know, you put a lot of money into this new trendy sp- mm-hmm. space and then you, you know, they used COVID as an excuse to just like bounce. Cause they did real early yeah. and their employees run in the lurch. And, you know, it's just all these things are kind of tied together in my opinion, because the, the people who are trying to, get all of they can out of an area financially. Like there's a certain group of people who can do that. And then they bounce when they, when once they've gotten what they need and then workers and homeowners and people who are trying to find homes or people who are trying to find affordable places to rent, like those are the people who suffer. Yeah. And so it's important in my opinion, politically, who to, to put people in positions of power, to put people on, um, you know, city councils and and mayor's offices and school boards, frankly, and, 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 you know, put people in those positions who are, who care about, you know, regular people, the people who aren't making six figures, the people who um, don't have trust funds, you know, the people who are just trying to, you know, again, I'm 31, man. Like I have a wife, I got two kids, um, you know, my wife has lost her job because of the pandemic, because she was working at a sports arena and we can't have or an events arena and we can't have events. So, you know, people are struggling. People are people are um, hurting and it's not sustainable to, to have this stuff, to have these wide areas of cities and, and, and towns where people just can't afford to, to make a living and can't afford to have homes. And so um, Emily, I, I I guess if we want to, um, kind of wrapping up here a little bit, but like I, you, you talk about like buying a home and Chris talked about buying a home, um, in the, in the such the, the stark differences, um, from when he was doing it 10, 15 years ago. And, and if he were trying to do it now and we bought this place a couple years ago, we've been in this house a little bit over two years. And, um, we we're, were able to find a great deal on the place, but, um, you know, as our kids get older, I'm sure that we're going to be looking for something bigger. And I don't know if we'll be able to afford it, but like, what do you, we, we've talked outside of the podcast, obviously about you trying to, to find a place. So like, what's, what are your, what's your status on that, I guess. And like, how are you, um, have you considered going other places or or looking outside of Austin or something? Like, what do you, what's your mindset, I guess, because this isn't, I don't know if this is like politically focused, but I mean, it is because um, this is impacting you. It's impacting you as an individual. So like, what are your, what do what you where's your what's your headspace at i guess
2: so with that so like with looking at austin like i probably won't find something in city limits so i'll probably um end up in like a suburb of austin so what that then changes is like who is representing me um like i then have like a new city council that i have to worry about and new um like i did i don't have kids I, it's really just me so me and my dog child that i will have but like I'm not worried about like a school, but like, I should care about the school board of where I live, like in the community. I live because I want, I, I don't think education is like equitable across the country, but like where I live, I'm like, yeah, at least like I'm here. I can like do what I can in this community. So I would want to like, make sure that people are doing the right thing by these kids and like the community I'm in. So, um, I, I think it, it does impact that. And, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be ideal if I could like find something in Austin just so that I'm not driving an hour to work every day. But because of the pandemic, who knows when I'm going to be back in my office and what that's going to even look like, or I have to drive every day. So with that in mind, I'm like not super worried about it. Um, and like looking in a suburb and looking like, okay, well, how did this suburb? What is it? What does it look like in terms of like this last election? Like, I probably shouldn't move to one of the smaller maybe 45 minutes outside of Austin. There are some smaller towns that are they're pretty much rural and like they probably are not um ideal for a someone like me. Someone with like my belief system. I'm just like, you know, I love that for you that you want to have a Confederate flag in your front yard and like I Fully believe that like people can come together and love one another but like that is not what I'm trying to do right now not in like like I don't want to be stressed in the place I'm living so um that is a challenge in Texas and probably just in the south in general when it comes to you can go from one county to the next and it's like day and night in terms of like the demographics which the issues I might have with certain demographics there's still like those are still people who are probably like, I don't feel like I'm being heard. Well, okay. Welcome to the club. Like it seems like the people that are being heard are the people with the money and that's not the majority of us. And I, I hope that we can really come together in the next, I don't know, 20 years where people can kind of get over certain prejudices. And then like, we can all be like, listen, there are people that are not here for all of us. Obviously they're pushing people out of cities and making it where like you can't just live in a city if you're just a normal middle-class person.
1: Yeah I mean we could we could really do a series on this because I (laughs) I, you know I you talk about um, considering where you're where you're living and how that impacts you know your children if that's something that you do end up having or or anything like that you see my daughter walking around here. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's certainly something that for me, you know, the suburb schools are the schools that get the most resources and, you know, they're in the places where home property values are the highest and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm someone who used to work for a public school district of one of the suburbs. I used to work for the Waukee school district, which was like the fastest growing district in Iowa and had the highest ratings. And so if you wanted to, everyone wanted to come out there, but like I'm a product of Des Moines public schools and, um, you know. Waukee School District is not diverse at all. And so to me, as someone who, you know, my daughter will be, she would be starting kindergarten next year, but her birthday is like two, two weeks late. Um, so she'll be in pre-K next year, and she's, you know, as I'm raising the, a young black girl, a young biracial girl, and I want her to be with people who look like her. And so kind of navigating, um let's just stop. Here. Uh, sort of see now you hear right now um, navigating you know going to school districts that have good resources, but also where she can have a peace of mind and and make friends with um, kids who are come from similar backgrounds, and also have teachers who you know respect her identity and um, the 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 role that her identity will, be, will play in her education and things like that. Like all of those things are in my head, so. Um, again, like that's, that's, it's political and it's something that it really impacts us. Um, It impacts our lives personally, I guess, kind of to finish up here, Chris, can you kind of give us your thoughts on um, kind of on just on what we've been talking about? You know, you, you have kids, uh, you're, you're, I don't know how old your kids are, but you're, um, you know, how how is that kind of impacting their lives? How are you? How are you kind of? Um, what role do you do you see politics playing, and how you're raising your kids, and how uh, how it can kind of benefit their well being as as they age? I I think it's very important
0: to talk to your kids and also let them make their own decisions. Uh, I have made a conscious effort to, um, well, I have four kids. Uh, I have Tyler who is 25, uh, Caitlin, who is a junior at Iowa state. She just turned 21 and she's actually going to be a a teacher in, uh, uh, early education. Um, she wants to follow in her stepmoms footsteps of teaching ELL and special ed. Uh, and then, uh, I have twin, uh, boys that are 18. Uh, they are, uh, special needs, have have Williams syndrome. So I have this spectrum of, of a lot of concerns for kids coming up. And I, and, and I think for me, it's important that I, I teach them that you need to be involved and you need to be engaged. Um, Emily, I, earlier in the podcast, you talked about how I didn't really pay attention because I didn't, you know, it wasn't important to me or whatever else. And, and I see it that I want my kids to be, engaged and understand if they choose not to to participate at that point that's fine but I don't want them to to not understand where things are and what's important to them and and how being involved matters on the even on the local level uh I have thought sometimes about running for local, whether it's a local city council here in Norwalk or the school board or this, uh, or, or so on. And, and, you know, seeing the, the conversations and the decisions that they have to make now in 2020 with COVID, especially on the school board and, and the, the fight that they get from the, from the state government, uh, specifically the lady sitting in the Terrace Hill office, like that stuff to me is mind boggling. Um, and I don't know that I would have the proper patience for it, uh, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't fight for it. Um, so to me, it's just a matter of, of, of making sure that my kids understand the issues and, and, and giving them the ability to think for themselves and make those decisions for themselves. I at least want them educated. That's the biggest thing for me.
1: Emily, do you have any uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up?
2: Um, I just agree with like what Chris just said and think that a lot of parents should encourage their kids to be engaged because it's very easy, especially as a young person who's just trying to like make it to the next day to kind of be like, oh, politics. So I, I think that's great that you are um, like making sure that they're engaged and they understand and like that you're, like very motivated to even want to get involved yourself. Like, I think that not enough people necessarily are like that, where they're like, like they genuinely have like a good reason that they're motivated to go help other people. They just kind of look at it like, oh, like I know that I can do this job and like there's not a ton of competition in some areas and it's a paycheck. So um, I think it's really cool yeah i will say
0: I, one oh, more ahead. thing one more thing on that is that even though my kids are are going to be graduated and not part of that system or or may not be affected of it that doesn't mean that it's time to turn that part off right mm-hmm. it's still important it's still important to to get involved it's still important to do those things i i, I run uh here in norwalk we have a um I'm part of the Knights of Columbus and we run this, this charity organization, this charity auction that I run every year that uh, designates $1,000 college scholarships to kids in the area. Uh, and, and, the, and we weight that based off of financial need, right? N- none of my kids are, well, one of the kids benefited from it because she qualified for grades or whatever. But just because my kids are out of school doesn't mean I'm going to stop that There's or that I'm not going to be involved in that. Uh, there's still kids coming down the road that need help and that need assistance. And that thousand dollars can mean a lot. And just because it's not going to benefit my kid, that means I shouldn't still be involved. That's just not wired for me. And that I think not saying that I'm perfect. Cause I clearly I'm not, but if more people took an interest in things, even though it still didn't affect them, imagine what they could accomplish
1: for sure. I agree completely. And you know, I work at Iowa State and the students I work with are, are the ones and even even the ones younger than them, right? Where, you know, most of my students are early 20s, but I'm also, so I'm encouraged by them and also the those kids who are, you know, 16, 17, 18, who are really a part of the most, like, um, the most knowledgeable, the most, like, Maybe politically literate for their age group, um, maybe ever. Like I'm, I'm really encouraged by a lot of the student activists that I see, and and the student activists that I, I have the opportunity to work with personally. Um, they're they're the ones that really encourage me and give me hope that um, they can make a change. Not that things will change, but like they can make a change um, politically, socially, because it takes people to make change. Things don't just change organically like it takes people it takes organization it takes mobilization and um you know they're they're gonna keep developing their skills to do that and i'm gonna do whatever i can to put them in a, in a position to succeed so that's really encouraging to me and um you know the generations before us who have worked and who have organized and who have been activists for social change like i, I also draw inspiration for them from them Chris thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank no, you so thank, much. Thank you for kicking off this 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 um this series that we're doing. I can I can say pretty confidently that um I don't think that any any this is going to be a pretty unique one. Um so again, yeah, just just thank you for joining us and and we appreciate you having. Thank you. We appreciate having you and and, and thank you everyone for for listening. But thank you Chris. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you. I appreciate the chance to come on and and learn from you guys too. I mean, there, there's a lot of perspective there that as a 50-year-old middle-aged white male, I wouldn't know without engaging in some very intelligent, articulate people, regardless of, of who they are. So I, I appreciate that very much. We
1: appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you everyone, right. Thank you, everyone for, for listening. We appreciate you. We'll be back.
2: Thank y'all.